highway patrolman, and he was out sitting on a long, not really a dusty road, but a paved road, and uh, he was waiting to, you know, catch an, uh, an unknowingly aware speeder, and uh, this car comes zooming by at 22 miles an hour. And he thinks to himself, you know, a car going that slow is just as dangerous a car as a car that's going too fast. So he pulls out, turns his lights on, and pulls this car out. And as he walks up to the car, he notices that this car has five elderly ladies in it. Um, there's three in the back seat and two in the front. And he goes up, and, and the, the, the driver, she says, Officer, what seems to be the problem? And he says, Well, ma'am, um, do you know how fast you were going? And she goes, Yeah, I know how fast I was going. I was going exactly the speed limit. And he's like, well, ma'am, you were going 22 miles an hour. And she says, yes, that's what the speed limit is. And he says, no, 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 ma'am. Um, that's the route number. Um, you were looking at the route number sign. It's route 22 that you're driving on. And she said, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting that, correcting me with that. And, and as the, the officer's kind of looking through the car, he notices that, that the other four ladies in this, in this car are just freaked out. Um, they're, they're wide-eyed, and, and, and they haven't said anything. And so he turns to the lady before he, before he walks away, and he says, Ma'am, um, uh, is everything okay? He said, I noticed that your passengers, um, they haven't said a word, and they all look kind of spooked. And she goes, Oh, officer, she said, they'll be all right in a few minutes. We just turned off of Route 142. Uh, we need to understand the signs, don't we? we? We need to know what the proper signs are and, and we, need to, we need to really get them. Uh, another thing as I introduce the topic today is, have you ever used a tool for something other than what it should be used for? Have you ever been in one of those situations where, you know, the only... I do this all the time in my house. You know, I'm, I'm in the house on a ladder up here and I've got a couple things here and instead of taking, you know, five minutes to go out to the shop and get the right tool, I try to make do with the tool that I have in my hand. And, and usually what ends up happening is what happened this particular day when I had this particular tool and I wasn't using it as a spade or a shovel, I was using it as a pry bar and it didn't turn out so well. You know, many of us have probably have screwdrivers in the uh, garage that don't have handles anymore because we use them as a chisel or a punch. Um, just lots of things. And, and you know, that's what can happen in our own lives. If our, our, if our lives aren't aimed in the right direction, understanding the right signs, and we're using our life for something other than what it was originally intended and created for, um, bad things can happen. And, and so that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about here this morning. Um, so, a couple questions just to get our minds moving. Why, why does man exist? Uh, why do you exist? Uh, as you think about your purpose in life, how would you answer? Uh, as you think about that question, why do I exist? How would you answer that? Do you even have an answer to that question? Well, here are a few celebrity answers from some very, not very wise people. Um, Janis Joplin uh, this was her answer to that. She says, I exist in a lyric of one of her songs. You've got to get it while you can. We all know how that kind of turned out for Janice. Not so well, did it? Um, Albert Einstein stated, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. Okay? Maybe a little bit. Clarence Darrow, an American lawyer and leading member of the American Civil Liberties Union in the early 1900s, compared life to a ship that is, and I quote, 
tossed by every wave and by every wind, a ship headed to no port and no harbor with no rudder, no compass, no pilot, simply floating for a time, then lost in the waves, unquote. Wow. And you wonder why the ACLU thinks the way they do today. I, you know, I mean, if that, that, what an empty philosophy of life. Um, Jonathan Swift, a poet and writer from Ireland in the 16th century, wrote that life is a, quote, tragedy wherein we sit as spectators for a while and then act our part in it. And I think he goes on to say, and then cease to exist. Really? Is, is that what you think? Is that why you exist? And then uh, from John Lennon of the Beatles, uh, a song that he wrote and performed um, goes like this. He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. And then he goes on. Doesn't have a point of view. Knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Wow. Um, very empty, but, but in some ways very profound, isn't it? Um, Carl Sagan. You may know Carl Sagan, an atheist. Uh, uh, he looks at stars a lot. He's a, he's a physicist, etc., etc., etc. He says this, The significance of our lives and our fragile realm derives from our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodians of life's meaning. Now, before we can criticize Sagan's secular humanist view, it seems to me that every one of us in this room can fall into that same type of trap where we think that we are the ones that define our lives. We are the ones that give meaning. We are the ones that determine our days and our steps. Even knowing what we know from Scripture, we can live our lives unintentionally, can't we? Well, we wouldn't say it the way Sagan said it, but the way we actually live often could be described in the way that he said it. Our busy, busy lives chasing after things that really aren't that important. Spending enormous amounts of time and energy steeped in our own wisdom and our own courage and our own selfish desires. And I hope that, that you have been thinking about these things since last week's message and, and will continue to think through these things as we go forward. And so the first point of your notes this morning is where are our hearts aimed? I want you to kind of ask your, yourself that question today. Where is my heart aimed? Where, what trajectory is my life heading in? And, and as part of this series, I want to challenge all of us, and, and, and certainly myself is included, to submit ourselves to the direction and the guidance of Jesus Christ. And we will be looking at some very practical applications to this in the next three weeks. We're going we're to look specifically next week at marriage and family. Um, how, how can we live a life, uh, a well-aimed life in our marriage and family? And we're going to look at work and finances the next week. And then the last week of the series, we're going to look at relationships and community. And today we're confronted from our Bibles, from God's Word, which is the umbrella that stands over all things of life. And I want us all to honestly ask God, to answer this question, where is my heart aimed right now, Lord? Let's ask that question today. Well, um, one of the answers to this question in point number one is that a well-aimed heart is a wise heart. 
A well-aimed heart is a wise heart. You know, last week we saw King Solomon attempting to find joy and satisfaction in the things of life. I mean, in, in the, the book of uh, Ecclesiastes explains it well, his attempt, very intentional. Uh, money and power and women and things and things and things. And every time his answer was what? Meaningless. If, if I'm living my life simply and solely for these things, for this one thing, there's no meaning. It's, it's futile, as, as King David said. And we saw his conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes in, verses, in, verse, tw- in verse 13 of chapter 12. Now all has been heard. I've experienced it all, he says. I've tried it all. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Now, why should we listen to King Solomon and what he says? Well, first of all, he was inspired by God. And second of all, he was the wisest man to have ever lived on the planet Earth. And, and here is why I say this. Um, but before I say that, uh, Solomon says, fear God and keep his commandments. Um, this fear of God, this having a reverence of God, A respect for Him as Creator and Ruler of all things is the beginning, the Bible says, of wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. And Solomon, again known as the wisest man to ever live in 1 Kings, Solomon asked God for what? For wisdom. Interesting. Um, Solomon is a young kid, actually, and is handed the kingdom of Israel from his father David and uh, knows his limitations, knows that he's not experienced in this, and he gets on his knees before God, and he says, God, here's what I'm asking. Here is what I want. Lord, he says, grant me a discerning heart and the knowledge to discern between right and wrong. That's what his request of all requests was, King Solomon. And God's response was this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 and and the beginning of verse 12. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. And then God continues at the end of verse 12 and He says this, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Why should we listen to Solomon? Because he was the wisest man on earth. And why was he the wisest man on earth? Because he feared God and humbled himself before him. God made him wise. Proverbs 9.10 is that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. A well-aimed heart is a wise heart. And, and that wisdom begins with humbling our souls and hearts, having reverence for God. And as we see throughout the Bible... For instance, in the life of Job and Jonah and Daniel and, well, actually, everybody else that we read about, they come to this point in their life where they recognize, you know what? I'm not in control of this situation. And the best thing for me to do is to humbly submit myself to what the Lord wants of me. And we come to a not-so-subtle realization as many of them did in Scripture, and that's this. It's not about me. A not-so-subtle realization. It's not about me. Uh, We've seen it time and time again. The story of David. Is that about David? 
No, it's about how God is working in and through the life of David. We, we read about Daniel. And we read about Joseph who spends years in prison. Is that story about Joseph? No. It's about how God has Joseph in the right place at the right time and he raises him up to save his people. God is in control. God is in charge. It's not about me. It is not about me. You see, when we seek to live a well-aimed life, this is where it has to start. This, this is the conclusion that we have to come to. Too many people in our world think they have a corner on the wisdom market. Too many people in our world think they have a corner on the financial market. And that's where their significance comes from. That's their compass in life. We, we just heard from many, uh, several people who that's where the significance of their life comes from where their compass is. And we need to evaluate our own lives this morning and we need to reflect on what we've been living for. Maybe you've been wandering around in life not knowing what to do. Maybe, maybe you have put yourself on the throne of your life in place of Jesus. We need to reflect on that. We need to intentionally seek God in this area. And I believe that God has brought you to this series to align your heart with Him. Whether you're listening to it online or you're here this morning, God has brought you here today so that you can begin to have your heart aligned with His. He wants to speak to you today. And He wants to aim your heart. And my question to you is, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to listen? Are we going to humble our hearts before Jesus and submit to what He calls us to? You see, it doesn't matter what age you are in here. You could be middle school. You could be high school. You could be young married. You could be not married and single. You could be newly married. You could have young children. You could be middle-aged like me. You could be retired. It doesn't matter. It matters not where and what stage of life you are in. What matters is that you are uh, that your life is aimed well. So I want you to pull out that connect card, and I want you to look at the one side of it where it has the boxes that you can check. And there's one of the boxes that says, "It's blank about me. It's blank about me. It's blank about me." The word that goes in there is the word what? Not. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And, it, and maybe at this moment already in the message, you're thinking to yourself, and you are convinced, you know what? I, I, you don't even have to speak anymore, Pastor Dave. I know it's not about me. Check, check that box. If, if you need a little bit more convincing, let's, let's continue on in the message this way. It's not about me. It's not about me. Now, I want to look at three descriptions of a well-aimed heart. A heart that's humbled before the Lord and seeking to follow His will. So first of all, a well-aimed heart recognizes Christ crucified. First and foremost, completely, foundationally, absolutely, Christ crucified. Um, it's about Jesus Christ. And this is our first step of humility. It's laying our life down. It's laying our wants, our desires at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, you know what? It's about you. It's not about me. It's not about my desires. Because He's the one that paid a great price for us. Jesus Christ Himself submitted Himself to the will of the Father and willingly went to the cross 
to be crucified and sacrificed for you and I. He paid a great price. He submitted Himself to the confines of a human body. And this is our first step. To believe and to be saved. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have never believed. And you're not saved. But you are here today for a reason and a purpose. And my prayer is that you would, in fact, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Pastor Ty explained it well last week. Maybe you haven't confessed Jesus as Lord. You're sitting here this morning and you hear it again. The Lord, the Holy Spirit calling to you. Saying, surrender your life to me. Surrender your life to me. Do it this morning. Call on the name of Jesus Christ as God, as the Messiah. And, and I, would, I would encourage you to take a moment right now. Maybe you just, maybe you just close your eyes as I continue to speak and, and you, uh, in a prayerful way, in, in just speaking in your mind to God, saying, God, I surrender myself to you. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe it with my heart and, and I surrender today. I've never surrendered before, but today I know that you're calling me to be your child and I surrender the Bible says that you, if, you can, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. That's the starting point. We, a well-aimed heart, recognizes Christ crucified. Now, as believers, this is a great reminder for us. What a, what a greater, there is no greater gift than this, that a man lay down his life for another. Jesus did that for you and for me. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in your Bibles, if you would, please. It's in the New Testament, about halfway through. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. These will not be on the screen, so you'll, be, you'll need to look in your Bible. Um, grab one of the Bibles under the chairs if you didn't bring a Bible. And, and in, in that particular Bible, it's page 1,132. Page 1,132. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Let's see what God's Word has to say right here. The end of verse 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this is our memory, one of our memory verses for this week. You are not your own. What do those five, verse, those five words right there mean? You are not your own. It means, David, you're not in charge. You're not the authority of your life. You don't belong to yourself. You don't get to decide. You're subject to another's control. And a well-aimed life is a life that humbles itself before God and recognizes that they are not their own. They are not their own. Our life does not belong to us. And then it goes on. Six more words. You were bought at a price. Now the language used here refers to slaves that are bought at an auction. And I'm sure when they were handed over to their masters, they were told, you are no longer your own. You are owned by this person. He is your master. You are to do whatever he tells you, whenever, for whatever he wants to give you. You have been bought with a price. It has been paid. And now you are not your own. You see, we are owned as believers, as Christ followers, by someone else. In this case, the creator of the universe. Isn't that good news? I mean, really? Think about that. Um, I know that I know Satan would like to spin that negatively and think that, well, what about your freedom? And, and what about all the other things that the Bible says that you should have? But they don't match with being the slave of someone else to be owned by someone else. But they do. 
but they do. You see, we are owned by the Creator of the universe, the Almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega, the One who never had a beginning and will never have an end. And we think of Him, when we think of Him as our Father, sometimes our thoughts of our own fathers and our own selves can get mixed in there. And we think to ourselves, yeah, but you know, my dad, he wasn't a perfect guy. He made some mistakes. You know, several times um, in my life as a father, I have said the phrase, I wish I had done it differently. You know what? God is an all-perfect Father. He will never, ever utter those words. They will never enter his mind, if you will. He is perfect. He is good. And it's amazing to me that he loves me and that he was willing to pay the price to purchase me, to save me. But yet he did, because he is good. The Bible says that he delights in us, that he is our friend, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. And and isn't that just amazing? And, and who knows better for something than the creator of that something? The guy that made this shovel would look at me and say, why would you ever use that as a pry bar? It's dumb. It wasn't built for that. God knows. God knows why you were created. He created you even before, even as you were in your mother's womb. God had a plan for you and for me. And then Paul goes on, and he uses a word here that he says often. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, and when we see the word therefore, what do we do? We ask the question, what's it there for, right? So Paul is is going into this thing where he says, all right, look, I've told you A, and I've told you B, and because those are true, we have C. All right? You, You are not your own, because that's true. You, you've followed Jesus Christ and you are Christ follower. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And because of that, he goes on and he says this. Honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Glorify God, Paul says. Now, I want you to think of these words as sweet and tasty words. Not as boring and controlling and, and rigid words. Because that's, that's, what, that's what the deceiver would want you to think. The deceiver wants you to think that this verse should be viewed in, in all of negative. I'm not my own. That's not a good thing. You were bought at a price. Yeah, that's okay. But therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. What? Really? No. These don't restrict us. They are foundational. God bought us to glorify Him. And that's it right there. This takes us into the second description of a well-aimed heart and which I believe is the number one goal of all of our lives. And that's to glorify God. That's to glorify God. A well-aimed heart does all things to the glory of God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ." And to die is gain. So if, if we're living for Christ, glorifying Him in all that we do and we die, is that a wasted life? Absolutely not. 
if if God speaks to you here today or in the coming weeks and says, look, um, John, I want you to become a missionary and I want you to go to Africa and I want you to, to, to go to these people. I want you to sell everything. And I want you to go. And you do. And in three weeks, you contract malaria and you die. Is that a wasted life? Absolutely not. Because you are glorifying God in your obedience and you are doing exactly what He told you to do. We've seen that time and time again, haven't we, with missionaries? Jim Elliott is one of them. They said, don't go. They said, don't go. He said, God is calling me to go. And he went. And what happened? They killed him. But then what happened? People went back because they had a heart for those Indians. And the Indians began to think of themselves, these people really aren't very intelligent. There must be a bigger story here. And what happened? An entire nation a tribe gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Why? Quite possibly because Jim Elliot was killed. That's not a wasted life. That's a life lived, well-aimed, glorifying God and doing what God calls him to do. No, a wasted life is not one that lives to glorify God. Now, if we get to the end of our lives and all we did was live for self and the treasures of the earth, that would be a tragedy. That would be a tragedy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I love the way Paul teaches because he's like, alright, I've been talking about food and drink in the, in the previous you know, chapter and a half. But then, in order to include everything else, he throws in that word right there, whatever you do. It, it, he's saying, don't just glorify God with what you eat and drink. It's everything. It's all-encompassing. It's, it's our entire life. It's everything. Whatever you do. Now, what does whatever include? It includes what you're doing right now. If you're a doctor, glorify God. If you're a teacher, if you're a preacher, if you're a truck driver, what are you to do? You're to do that and glorify God. If you're a farmer in your tractor going back and forth in a field, can you glorify God? Absolutely you can glorify God in doing that. If you work for the railroad, if you're a lawyer, if, if you work for a company, if you're, if you're a stay-at-home mom and wife, do that to the glory of God. Do it to the glory of God. If you're retired, if you're a grandparent, whatever you do, Paul says, do that to the glory of God. So, it doesn't matter what any of us are doing right now. Okay, I, I may need to rephrase that slightly. There are some things that don't fit into that whatever category that we obviously can't glorify God with. Okay, throw those out. Whatever good things and, and you know, work, etc., 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 that you're doing right now, you can do that and glorify God. Okay, now I'm not saying at this moment in time that that's exactly what God wants you to do. Because in a moment, we're going to be challenged to, to throw that at the feet of Jesus too. Do it for the glory of God. Our hearts are well aimed when they are living life to the glory of God. Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, 
for it is the wellspring of life. That's where it starts. That's where the life comes from. Now, as, as I've been studying for this series and have been even wrestling with things my, my, myself, I've picked up two books this week. Well, actually, one in digital form. I'm actually listening to it. Um, the other one is in, is in written form. The first one uh, that I picked up earlier on in the week, uh, and I just mentioned these for, for you folks that, that luck, like to read or listen um, and, and maybe need some help and guidance to think through this along the way. And you're like, you know what? I, I need some help as I'm thinking about a well-aimed life. The first book is this. It's by John Piper, and it's Don't Waste Your Life. Um, that's the one I'm listening to. And uh, I've made it through the first four chapters of that. Uh, really, really great stuff. Challenging stuff. Um, uh, just great exposition of Scripture. And the second one is this. It's uh, The Purpose Driven Life. It's up there already by Rick Warren. And uh, I actually picked this up yesterday. Um, I, I'm not sure that I've ever read through The Purpose Driven Life. Um, but this is, uh, you know, in the past, sometimes we've done 40-day experiences here at the church. This is a 40-day thing. Um, it's intended for you to pick it up, read chapter 1, first day, read chapter 2, second day. And, and as, a, as, as I read through um, the things that, that Rick Warren uh, is challenging us to, and as he goes through Scripture, um, what we're talking about in this series, that's dead on. Um, and if you need help um, trying to organize your thoughts and to think through methodically, um, how to read, uh, if your life needs redirected, um, I, I would suggest maybe getting this book and, and reading through it, praying through it. Um, so, a well-aimed heart, uh, first of all, recognizes Christ crucified. Second, it does all things to the glory of God. And third, it will experience joy. It will experience joy. Now, we often believe that these two concepts, glorifying God and experiencing joy, are, are totally exclusive to one another. Um, you know, I don't know where we get this, uh, we, but we learn it at a young age. You know, anything to do with church, anything to do with God or spiritual things, that's just all boring. And, and there's really, it's, it's just not fun, and, and there's no joy in it, and uh, it's, it's just totally wrong. It's incorrect. We can glorify God and experience joy. Um, they, they are not two paths. They, they are one and the same. Um, the lyrics to one of David's songs, uh, Psalm 1611, uh, not, not as lost and wandering as John Lennon's, uh, were this. Uh, David says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God has bought us that we may glorify Him and that we may experience joy. Uh, when we're living our lives for Him and not for ourselves, that's when we truly experience joy. That's when we truly experience satisfaction. That's when we truly experience contentment. Now, I'm, it's not pain-free. It's not trouble-free. Even in the midst of things like that, though, there can be joy. There can be contentment. There can be satisfaction. Now, I have an assignment for us this week. Um, if you read the newsletter article, I, I hope that you're already engaged in this assignment because it, it, it piggybacks off of the newsletter article. Um, I want to challenge us, all of us in here this morning, to intentionally and humbly submit our hearts and agendas and families and jobs and friends and girlfriends and boyfriends to the feet of Jesus. 
And we've been talking a lot this morning about how we do the things we do. And maybe God wants to get your, your attention concerning that. Maybe it's, maybe it's attitude related. Maybe, maybe it's priority related. Or, or maybe God wants to get your attention this morning concerning what you are doing. Maybe He may have a totally different direction and heading than where you are today. Now, I want to confess to you that as your pastor, I have begun on this heart search that I'm challenging you to begin on. And I know that it's a scary exercise. And, and this is why. Because, because we're afraid that that we're not doing what God wants us to do. But we like doing what we're doing right now. And if we ask Him to tell us how to live a, a well-aimed life, He's going to tell us that we need to, to change. And I get it. Believe me, I get it. When I was telling my wife about this little thing and, and the three choices that I, that I the three answers that I'm going to uh, put before God to, to answer in my own life. Uh, I, she took a deep breath. She got weak in the knees. She put her hand on the counter. And... No, she didn't really do that, but she did take a deep breath. Um, because, uh, let, me, let me explain it a little bit here. As your pastor in the next five weeks, I'm, I'm putting myself at the mercy of Jesus Christ and His desires for me. I've got plenty of my own. And, and I've got plenty of my own wisdom and the things that I want to do. But the question that I am asking is, are those in line with what God wants me to do? So I will be taking the time to listen and humble my heart and my soul before Him. I will be intentionally listening for three... Um, for one of three specific messages, okay? The first one is this. A confirmation of the direction my life is already going in. Okay, the second one is this. Uh, confirmation with some corrections. God may say, David, yeah, I think, you know, continue in the direction you're going, but there's this little attitude over here, or, or this, there's this thing back here, or there's, there's this activity here. I, I want you to do away with that. And I want you to focus more on this part of your aim. And then the third one is this. And this is where my wife and I, we both take the proverbial deep breath. And it's a much more profound message, which is, could be a dramatic change in life. It could be a new career. It could be a move to a new place or a new country. Or a role change. I mean, are you with me? I know you're looking at me going... Wow, that's, that's some risky stuff. And it is. It is risky. But there's been other times of my life where I've given up the battle of doing what I want to do and finally submitting to, to what God wants me to do. And that's why I'm here today. If, 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 if I hadn't given in to God in that battle, I would probably be I would probably be a farmer somewhere. And, and, and again, I'm not saying that being a farmer is a bad thing. Because I could glorify God in that. But I don't believe if I was doing that that I would have been doing the, num the, the best thing that God had for me to do. 
would you be willing to lay it all down at Jesus' feet? Everything. Because I believe there is a risk, but, but I believe that if you take that risk, you'll never be sorry for it. You won't be sorry. You may have to make some tough changes in your life, but you won't be sorry. Because He will answer your honest searching and He will give you the direction. We need Him to do the aiming in our lives. We need Him to do that aiming in our lives. Chris Norman, a Michigan State linebacker bound for the NFL even recently, this was 2011, he was willing to ask these questions. God kind of got his attention with an injury and then his senior year after going through rehab and then playing again and being a prospective first-round draft pick into the NFL as a linebacker. Chris Norman asked God, what do you want me to do with my life? And he was obedient to that answer. And, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't already watched this story online, it's, it's about 11 minutes long. Um, you can find it at www.desiringgod.org backslash drafted. And the name of this video is Why Chris Norman Said No to the NFL. He would have been a multimillionaire. His friends said, you are crazy. Can you imagine the platform that you would have for Jesus Christ and, and the good that you could do with all of that money and, and how you could help your family? And Chris Norman says, you know what? I love my family. But I want to be obedient to what God calls me to be. And, and this very day, he is studying to be a pastor. Not a multi-million dollar linebacker in the NFL, but a pastor. Why? Because that's what God told him to do. Is he going to have any regrets at the end of his life? Absolutely not. Because his life is well aimed. Now as we close the service this morning, a couple things are going to happen. In a moment, the worship team is going to come up. In fact, Ty, why don't you guys come up right now? And, and they're, going to, they're going to play a song and we're going to sing and we're going to take the morning offering and I want to encourage you to, if you are finished with your Connect card at this point, to, to place that in the offering plate. If you're our guest, don't, uh, don't feel any obligation to give. Just let it pass. Um, and then after the offering, uh, I'm going to come up and give us some further instructions. You know, all too often we come to church and, and we fill out our notes very diligently and we write them down and we put them in the back of our Bible and we take our Bible home and then the Bible sits on the, on the counter until the next Sunday and then we come back the next Sunday and we get out the note sheet and we fill it out and we put it in our Bible and we close our Bible and we go home and, and, and we don't get past the exit of, of the church. And so what we want to do this morning is give all of us an opportunity to take 10 minutes to reflect on a couple things and, and after the offering is taken, I will, uh, I will tell us what we're going to be reflecting on. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for this message. God, I thank you for what you're doing in, in our hearts and our minds, even, even in this very moment today. Lord, I thank you what, what you're doing through your word and, and through your power. And, and God, I pray that you would continue to use this church in my own life and in the lives of people who 
I will bring witness and testimony to about your great love. And Lord, as we take up this morning's offering, I pray that you would bless it. I pray pray that you would provide for the expenses of our church. And God, I pray that, that you will just continue to draw our hearts and our minds and our lives humbly to your feet. Lord, give us the strength to respond to the challenge to take a risk. In Jesus' name, amen. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25 sum it up, and this is what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What would your life be like if you fully submitted to Jesus Christ. Everything. How would it be different? How would your family, how would this church be different if if all of us completely submitted ourselves 100% to the will of God and His desires for us? How would Goshen County be different? How would the state of Wyoming be different? 
Well, you know what? I hope we find out the answer to that question about sin. Because the challenge is for all of us to lay it all out there. To take a risk. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out a piece of paper. It could be your, your sermon notes. It could be uh, maybe you brought a notebook with you. But, but everyone, take out a piece of paper. And for, the, for the next ten minutes, as the worship team... Is that me? For the next ten minutes, as the worship team leads us, I want you to write down some things. Okay? Um, there's two phrases that I want you to fill out. The first one is, um, my priorities in life are these. And the second thing is this. In my life, I am treasuring. And, and, and I want you, as, as the worship team sings, and, and maybe as you ponder the words of, of the songs, I, I want you to, to write things down. I want you to make a list. Ask God to help you now, even this morning, to begin processing where your priorities are like, if they're aimed in the right direction or if they're not. So let's write things, these things down. Let's reflect.
Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come down on each heart in this building. Spirit, you know, Father, you know what's going on in our hearts. And I pray that this would be the beginning of a realignment, a redirection, a re-aiming of all of our hearts. 
And Father, I, I pray for those here this morning who who they 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 can they can hear the call to take a risk, but they're just they're just afraid. Lord, I pray that that your spirit would empower them to to take that risk. And to no matter what any of the answers are, to to submit their life completely one hundred percent to you. And oh Lord, I look forward to the coming months and seeing the work that you do in each one of our hearts tonight. Look forward to hearing the stories of how lives have been changed. So Father, as we leave here today, as we walk out those doors, I pray that we would live our lives to glorify you. And that as we live those lives to glorify you, that we will be obedient to do, we will be obedient to you to get rid of those things that are not well aimed and that do not glorify you. Oh Lord, help us to submit to you. Bless this church family. Move in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Look forward to seeing you back here next week.